Welcome to the Good Mother, Bad Woman podcast, where we know how to be good mothers, but we might be bad women for different reasons. I'm your host, Stacia Caprice, a happy single mom of three girls, one who has special needs. My blended family includes three daughters by three different dads, one divorce under my belt girl, nine living grandparents, two girlfriends, and one bonus mama who's married to one of the dads and helping me raise my daughter. The Lord also blessed me with a part-time nanny, and all 20 of us get along just fine. To those of us who are mothers, I think we love our kids just fine. But even though our kids are a big part of our lives, they're still only part of it. And that part of us that existed before and after kids, that woman inside is demanding to be heard without being labeled depressed or postpartum or a bad woman just because she did not disappear with her mommy job title. Okay, I'm not a doctor, coach or psychologist. I'm just somebody navigating this life, girl, without the owner's manual, just like you. And today we want to get into the topic of why real life love can seem real boring. Well, if you're someone like me who wants love, but is simultaneously kind of turned off by it, then you probably heard people say, well, the reason real love is real boring to you is because you love chaos, right? Girl, you're so bad at picking the right man because you don't value yourself enough and you don't think you're worth real love, right? (laughs) Girl, I love that explanation. Like, yeah, I'm just out here placing my active low self-esteem into the reckless hands of a man who I know ahead of time is going to crush me even further. Okay. Girl, maybe that's why. But listen, um, you know, I I admit that I'm kind of emotionally immature when it comes to men. I mean, honestly, I just want everything to be Saturday night. I get real uninterested when every day becomes Tuesday afternoon. Like, we're just out here coexisting for no reason, right? (laughs) You watching me do nothing. I'm watching you do nothing. And we're just forcing each other to share space. Like, no, please go and do nothing at your house or on your side of the house and call me when it's time to party show so yeah some of us love a little energetic love space but then again real love is real boring because that's how people sell it right i mean love is patient love is kind until love is work and love is service right i i even googled i can't remember how i did it but it was like the phrase love sucks or love story sucks <laughs> and i actually saw articles where people were saying like love herself has a pretty bad storyline right because I mean, if you approach your pastor or your family with your significant other, and you're like, oh, we want to get married. What's the first thing they say or they say in those first five minutes? They'll be like, well, that's good. But you know, it's not always fun and rainbows, right? It's going to be hard. The infatuation won't last. Enjoy the fun times while they last because those first seven years are going to be the hardest. And you'd be like, damn, can we just enjoy the moment? I was married before, honey. I know what I'm talking about. And while all of that may be true, the art of persuasion is lacking or at least uncompelling uh, with that approach, right? Because you could be of the mindset that if love is going to suck and hurt anyway, then it might as well be fun and crazy sexy in the meantime. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my self-esteem. Has to do with my practicality, right? You only live once. Why would you make it suck and suck on purpose? <laughs> Girl, just stay with me. I promise to make a real point. But Because then if it's not love herself, people immediately start describing the characteristics of a good man as if his goodness specifically comes from his boring or undesirable qualities. Right? Like, who cares if he's not beautiful or tall or is a little corny? Those things means he loves you. (laughs) Or he will love you. Or at least he does love you. And he has money. He'll take care of you, right? like how much more love do you need (laughs) am i wrong right like don't people sell 
the less attractive man as if his lack of attraction somehow increases his prince charming qualities girl please it's like you know the same thing they do to attractive boys they just assume immediately that they are uh, a cheater or toxic because of their good looks you know what i'm saying and we do that to boys at a very early stage. I mean, we call the cute ones little heartbreakers saying, oh, he's going to have all the girls, right? Just teaching him that having a harem of girls is his birthright. And it's the thing to pursue, right? When love and commitment is what he needs because he's a man and because he is a human. Amen. Girl, I remember being in church. Um, I was in college, the Church of God in Christ. And I was praying to God. You know, I'm, I had my head tilted back in my arms, lifted him, was like, <laughs> <laughs> and this woman who I did not know, she was in our church, but she didn't go to our church. Girl, this lady threw her arms around me and she started praying in my ear. She was like, in Jesus name, you going to get your own husband one day. Girl, I must have slid my hand off the side of her face and pushed her right off my body. I was like, if you don't lose here, <laughs> talking about I'm going to get my own husband. And I took that to mean that she looked at me and assumed that my problems was something sexual or romantic based on how I looked and that I was cheating with somebody's husband. Girl, get out of my face. <laughs> but back to the world we live in versus the one we want. I mean, I know a lot of women... Um, you know, whose active strategy or dating strategy is not to date someone who is prettier than them, right? Real talk. You know, they intentionally date men who they think are less attractive than the type of man that they probably could pull, which is all good, honey, until the kids are born and you find out his genes are stronger than yours. <laughs> then, of course, you know, there's another woman who has the kind of same philosophy. Maybe she gets a lot of attention for how she looks. And, you know, she decides to date the less attractive guy, hoping that he'll be so grateful to be by her side, only for him to feel empowered. Like, damn, if I could pull a girl like her with my BMW and my job, then let me go ahead and pull another one. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, so not only are you back to being single, you're single now because of this troll of a man who turned out to be just as trifling as the hot boy with dimples and the bomb sex. It's like, you could have at least earned your heartache and had fun breaking issue, right? But you have to decide what's more important to you, right? We don't all want the same thing from partnerships. Some of us can't stand to be alone no matter what we have to do to put up with somebody else, right? Some of us think that, you know, being loyal through his bullshit is true about all relationships. So I might as well stay with the man I got until he grows out of it. Have you ever heard a girl say a man will grow out of it? Lord Jesus. For the most part, safety is a woman's love language. So some of us feel like financial safety is the most important thing above all else. And they'll be like, I'll marry a guy whose career goes well with my career or whose career means that I don't have to have a career or uh, maybe our retirement strategy will be strong in the long run. <laughs> Girl, let me tell you something. I will never be old enough to marry a man because our retirement strategy is the most attractive thing. <laughs> retirement would literally have to be next week, but definitely not in the long run. Oh, girl, pray for me and my therapist, honey. <laughs> but the point is, like, there are still benefits and expectations that some women take in exchange for his lack of attraction or terrible sense of humor or whatever it is that she's kind of balancing internally to say, uh, it's all worth it because of this pros and cons. It's all worth it because of these, you know, pros and cons, right? Whereas some of us want the butterflies. Every time he steps in the room, we want the charm. We want the makeup sex. We want the beautiful baby. And even though he cheats sometimes, we want someone who will fight for our love, right? To prove that he loves us. I've even heard men who say that, you know, women who key up their cars and, you know, cover their clothes in bleach must mean she really loves him. It's like, yikes. <laughs> sounds different when somebody else says it out loud <laughs> right but when we find partnership for different reasons we all call it love right 
So it can get tricky in the realm of peer-to-peer psychology, trying to guide our choices by what we think work for somebody else or what society would approve of. Amen. But if everything we do or what people do is about themselves and who they are on the inside, then we certainly can't blame, you know, the type of man or, or partner that we choose as the entire problem. Which brings me to my next point that part of the reason real love can feel real boring is if your relationship driver is the pursuit of a feeling, right? I love the feeling of being with somebody, the feeling of being loved by somebody or watching someone benefit from the wonder that is my love. Feelings are natural, but feelings don't last. They're unreliable. They are instinctive, which means they're not always connected to reason or concerned about the future or or the long run, right? Feelings care about right now, right? The Bible even says there's a way that feels right to a man, but the end of that way is death. It's like the ultimate destruction. C.S. Lewis is an author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and he's the famous atheist turned Christian who really does um, a phenomenal job of breaking down Christianity from a logical, atheist, scientific way. I mean, he really makes it plain. And one of the things he talks about in his book, um, or as an essay, maybe it's called Mere, it's called Mere Christianity. Uh, the book is not about this. But it was saying is that marriage is not just about love. It's about justice, right? This is why it's a legally binding agreement that requires oaths and vows and officiaries, right? There's a series of legal rights that comes with marriage as a contract okay but between the husband and the wife this level of love is also based on promises promises offered and promises kept between the two of them promises is how you know promises are how human beings relate to each other whether it's in friendship and and, um you know all types of family relationships right so he says and i'm quoting the promise made when i'm in love and because i'm in love to be true to my beloved as long as i live commits me to being true even if i cease to be in love Uh oh (laughs) a promise must be about things that i can do about actions no one can promise going on feeling a certain way forever He might as well promise to never have a headache or always feel hungry. I love that, right? So true. Then there's so much psychology about how sex too soon makes you feel more connected to a person than you might really be. And then C.S. Lewis talks about love and sex, how they're not uh, the type of human nature or human instincts that can be so easily compared to other human nature, um, like the need for sleep or the need for food. And he builds this argument much, much better than I'm doing right now, but ultimately says, you know, the consequences for overindulging in the last two things just pale in comparison to uh, the damage of giving into our sexual appetite as the thing that is the most important to pursue. Amen. Love is pretty much the only thing that doubles as an intense feeling and an ultimate sacrifice, right? I mean, if you ever want to truly understand love as a commitment that is often contrary to every feeling that you have, just ask a parent who is responsible for raising a child every hour of every freaking day for 216 months (laughs) consecutively, right? You will have days where you would take something for your journey, honey, if you could, okay? You absolutely would. (laughs) Girl, they got whole songs about if I could take back the day before I met you, boy, I would do it, honey. Listen, Forget you and your kids. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. We love the kids. But when it comes to romantic love, the feeling side of love, unlike the feeling side of hunger, can make you feel like this is going to last forever, right? Like, I can't imagine not being this happy, and I don't want to, Okay, That's the key. Stable love feels boring, not because I want the chaotic side of it, but because I want the heightened side of it all the time. You know, it's interesting, at my age... um, 
like early 40s, you know, people are getting divorced, kids are growing up and moving out, uh, maybe they feel like they've been married too long, or they're just starting to have babies and really losing their sense of autonomy at an older age. Uh, from this group, you know, I notice, especially trying to date in this group, from this group, I notice a lot of people kind of giving up emotionally on the traditional concept of love, and they're replacing it with what they call ethical non-monogamy, dabbling in swinging or polyamory, like, you know, just really holding fast to this need of breaking out of monotony and routine and embracing uh, this pursuit of feeling pleasure constantly, right? Constantly and no matter what. Like they're very adamant about embracing this hyper sense of sexuality, whatever that means to them. Like, like who cares that you're 40 or you're a mom or you're a man in his 50s? You're still sexy. You still deserve love. Love is love. Let's get naked together. My wife will watch us. It's crazy out here in these dating streets. Okay, listen. And then after all of that, like willingness and so-called consent, the threesome still caused the predictable damage and the open marriage is still into divorce. Okay, why? Because the mindset is really, you know, people trying to get sex to do something that sex can't do by itself, which is satisfy entirely, right? Sex fits on that scale of insatiability, right? The pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of feeling is a, is a state that doesn't last, right? So your body will never have enough sleep. It'll never have enough money. It'll never have enough fun. It'll never have enough sex. Like it's not the thing to pursue because there is no end to it. There is no arriving, <laughs> right? Right, because sex has... A duality also of being a gift or a vice, right? It can be used as a weapon or offered as a blessing, right? The same is not true about other vices, right? Out of sex, drugs, and alcohol, you know, at no point will alcohol or drugs bless you for the good, right? It's going to stick around until you die. But sex is a beautiful aspect of the journey of relationship, but it was never meant to be the driver of your life's overall vehicle, right? C.S. Lewis said, that you must not isolate sexual pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting by simply chewing things up and spitting them out again, right? This is brilliant, right? Because your mouth is satisfied, but your stomach is not getting the things that it needs. Only part of your being is being satisfied when you choose that sex is going to be your identity, um, going forward. So real love can be real boring, not because of the presence of stability, but because of the lack of climax or adrenaline, right? How exactly do you get your stable lover to kick it up a notch and make me feel something, even if something is anything but this? <laughs> Speaking of adrenaline, Psychology Today um, has several articles talking about how adrenaline and anxiety can be mistaken for passion. Uh -huh. And of course, passion is another word that we use interchangeably with love. Uh, when we are, I guess, accused of being addicted to emotional roller coasters because we were raised by emotionally unstable people or emotionally unavailable people, it's basically like saying, you know, we're addicted to this series of highs and lows, uh, very similar to gambling. This article calls that intermittent reinforcement. So, so this like, I want something for nothing, which is the spirit of gambling. I want something for nothing love. I want to be in love the first three weeks without working for anything or winner takes all and loser lives to fight another day mentality uh, is kind of what <laughs> is kind of what emotional roller coaster love looks like. The article goes on to discuss like how intermittent reinforcement involves quite a bit of anxiety, right? Due to the uncertainty of when the next hit or high was coming, right? And even if there's more lows than highs, um, 
uh, someone may hold on to the relationship hoping that they can get back the relationship highs that they previously experienced, which is what being an addict or an alcoholic or addicted to something is all about, right? There's even additional research that proves or suggests that we experience a heightened sexual attraction under conditions of high anxiety, right? I mean, these sentences make me feel seen and doomed at the same time a little bit (laughs) because they have to be right, right? Like, that's why we watch all the, girl, the Bonnie and Clyde movies and the first thing that people want to do after they rob a bank is have sex on top of a car, like that adrenaline rush, right? And art imitates life. It's not the other way around. So obviously they're onto something about human nature, Lord Jesus. Like even in the Disney fairy tales of the damsel in distress, right? Sleeping Beauty was literally poisoned by a whole witch and her prince almost got burned alive by this enormous dragon, but they immediately kissed the kiss of true love like afterwards, like he's still smoking and on fire. (laughs) It's like, really? Is that the first thing we need to do? But you know, we love these kind of stories just like we love the breakup to makeup songs because we can identify with it, right? I don't know, maybe you feel obligated to love someone after they rescue you or help you stop crying, even if they were the ones who made you cry. I don't know, girl. I'm still trying to figure it out. But <laughs> but misinterpreting my feelings or our feelings is a lot more interesting to me than just automatically identifying with low self-esteem and pretending that my chaotic bad boy relationship doesn't provide me some benefit or serve me in some way, okay? If you learned early on that like romantic love involves unpredictability or inconsistency and now you're just instinctively drawn to partners who are avoidant or emotionally unavailable like your dad or mom was then there's something about emotional orphans like myself who find it more interesting to move a partner from emotionally unavailable to available by proving my words so that they don't abandon me right rather than finding a man who is emotionally healthy and ready to go right That's crazy, but it's not because, you know, for the most part, people don't value free stuff. Amen. They don't value the free gift of salvation. They want to work for Jesus. Like, what do you mean the financial wealth seminar is free? There's probably no value in that. But the one that costs $500 is really going to teach me something. That's how people are (laughs) in more areas than one. So if you try to prove your love by changing a person, then people shut you down immediately and like, duh, you can't change a man, girl. But what I'm saying is, what if changing him is not as important as the performance for love that I'm doing in the meantime? Does that make sense? Like, it's the performing that is serving me. The being better than the side chick or the baby mama or the other woman he'll meet in the future when we break up that gives me the standard to which I measure and prove my worth. I mean, this goes back to what people do is about them and who they are on the inside. So we can't blame daddy for this at this point. We can't blame him as a toxic boy. There's something about me that enjoys the lows and highs of of proving myself and possibly being rejected for it. Like, it's psychotic. I've talked about this before on my TikTok, and I know uh, people agree with me in my psychoticism. We should all go see the same therapist. But I think it's fun to have these types of conversations because if you're a woman and someone is trying to like shame you into a different way of thinking, you're more likely to shut down or dismiss the diagnosis, right? Because I don't identify with loving chaos, right? But if you unpack the word chaos and give me a different word to consider, then maybe I can see myself a little better, right? And that's what Good Mother, Bad Woman is all about. It's about getting into our feelings and living out loud. Even the Bible says, let every man work out his own salvation. Amen. And while culture and society usually promote this kind of one way of looking, one way of living, one way of loving, I want to say that the man who seems boring to you, sis, might actually be boring. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that this one way of life may not be what's best for you. Amen. Listen, I'm not above you in the healing process, girl, but I do process my shit. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok and the YouTube channel is coming soon. Okay.